Thanks for joining us here at Thrive Church. We're a church passionate about moving people towards Jesus. For more information, go to our website, www.thrivechurch.co.za. We're talking about money. We're in a series called Rands and Cents. It's a series about how to make sense of our money, how to manage our money so our money doesn't manage us. Uh, somebody said to me, listen, if, you always, if you're going to borrow money, borrow money from a pessimist because they'll never expect it back. So that's fine. It'll help you. But there are two mentalities in life that we have to guard against. The first mentality when it comes to money is a poverty mentality. A poverty mentality. That's a, a belief that's characterized by the fact that the be- people believe money is evil and should be avoided at all costs. But really, that mentality is actually rooted in jealousy and in envy. Uh, the jealousy wants what somebody else has, and the envy wishes that they, they had it. The other big mentality in, our, in our, our world that we have to guard against when it comes to money is a pride mentality. One's a poverty mentality, money's evil, nobody should have it. The other is a pride mentality that says, hey, if I've got it, it's because of me. It's because of the hard work, it's because of the strategy, it's because of the way I've done things, etc., you know? And to counter both of those mentalities in our world, it's so important that we nurture a spirit and a heart of gratitude. Gratitude is what keeps us grounded in the area of our money. And this means that we remember that ultimately our wealth comes from him, that it's all his in the first place. That's kind of where I started us last week was with a a biblical worldview on money. It's so important that before we do anything more regarding our money, we we have a, or maintain and form, each one of us has to formulate thinking when it comes to important things. Money's no different. If we're gonna formulate a biblical worldview on money, it starts by, by us acknowledging that all of our finance comes from Him first and foremost, right? And so I started last week by saying we're herders, not hoarders, right? It's all His labola. Uh, he owns the cattle, the labola on a thousand hills, right? It's all His to start with. Now, uh, if you were here last week, you would have heard money is a faith Fitbit. What you do with your money, tells us where our heart is. It tells us how much your heart loves Jesus and trusts God. Worship and wealth are Siamese twins, church. You can worship wealth or you can worship with your wealth, but you'll do one of the two. Number four, we, we reminded ourselves that we shouldn't diss the dollar. It's not money that's the problem, it's the love of money that's the issue, right? It's the love of money that's the problem. It's not money, money's amoral. Money will only do what you and I tell it to do. Uh, greed is our golem. Greed's the real issue. Greed is always the thing that's chasing after something shiny. And that thing that chases after shiny in our lives is, is called greed. That's the thing that we have to struggle against. What, really, what we really need is the good stuff, and it's not weed. It's, it's wisdom. Some of you are like, I remember it started with a W. Was it weed? No. It was wisdom. What we really need is not necessarily always more money. What we really need is more wisdom with the money that we have. And uh, lastly, we reminded ourselves that there's no luggage in heaven. You can't put a fenced trailer and attach it to your hearse on your way to your funeral. You're not going to drag anything with you one day when you go. Can you say amen? amen? And we are never more like Jesus than when we're giving. We're never more like Jesus than when our hands are open. This week, I want to give you a biblical model to succeed with our money. A biblical model to succeed with our money. Let me say a couple things about the model before I show it to you. Number one, 
the most important thing about this model is not simply the four elements that it contains. The most important thing about this model is the order in which the model is presented. The genius of this is in the order, not simply in the elements. It's in the arrangement of the elements, not simply the elements themselves. Are you with me? Because in fact, culture teaches us the same model with regards to our finance, but the order is reversed. So hence, the order is critically important. Second thing I want to say before uh, I show you the model is that if you look at it and after looking at it, you think, oh, yeah, no, that's not what I'm doing with my money. Don't stress about it. I don't want you to feel condemned. I don't want you to feel uh, increased levels of anxiety about it. I want you to hear the wisdom of it and make a decision to practically put it into force with regards to your future. I'm gonna teach you what the Bible says we should be doing in the order in which we should be doing it with regards to every one rand that we receive. So to make it nice and easy, for every 10 rand that comes into our account, there's a specific biblical order in which we deal with that money. If your order has not been that order, I don't want you to feel stressed. I want you to make some decisions and hear the wisdom of it, make some decisions as to how you could go about making some small steps to adjust towards that. Is everybody clear? All good in the hood. Anybody from Brackpan? Are you still with me? Shout hello. There's no Brackpan here. No, they're just raising their hands. They're just raising their hands. Anybody from Boxburg still with me? Anybody from Benoni? Germiston? Yeah, Jimmy's representing today. Anybody from Ireland? Mauritius? No, all right, we haven't gone multinational yet. All right, ready to go. Here we go. So is the order. Firstly, the scripture encourages us to tithe first with regards to our money. A tithe means 10%, right? It's the first 10% of our income. Now, let me say something about this quickly. The first time I ever went to a life-giving church, like a church that wasn't dead and boring, the first time I ever went, the preacher that day was preaching on this scripture that I'm about to give you. Malachi chapter three, verse 10. Let's go to it. It says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there'll be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, that's God, I'll open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it, God says. Put me to the test. The only time in all of Scripture where we are invited or permitted to test God is in the area of our tithes. He says, if you would tithe, you can test me and you will see that your finances will be taken care of. First time I ever attend a life-giving church, and this is the Scripture that the guy's preaching on. I think to myself, I've made a big mistake coming to church this morning. But far from push me away, actually, it got me intrigued. Uh, and then I thought to myself, well, even if it says that, that's like in the Old Testament. So if I go, I'm sure if we go to the New Testament, Jesus doesn't have anything like that to say about tithing. So I'm off the hook. It's all good in the hood. I'll continue the way I was. And the thing is, I was just about to start working, actually. So I was just about to start getting like a real paycheck. You know, when you graduate from a student to like a working person where the, the paycheck actually starts to become, I mean, I couldn't do a lot with it, but you could do something with it, right? And now I'm just hearing I've got to give away the first 10% of it. And I really wish that I hadn't heard it because what you hear, you're then accountable for. Are you with me? So then I thought, oh, well, that's obviously the Old Testament. But then he carries on and he goes, hey, Matthew 23, verse 23. 
Jesus says, what sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. I'm going, oh, Jesus has just confirmed it. You should tithe. I'm like, oh. Anyway, I put it into practice the first, first month that I got a paycheck. What I want to say to you is this. In all the years of having tithed, in all the years of speaking to people who tithe, in all the years of speaking to pastors of people who tithe, in all the years of uh, encountering people who tithe, whether they're Christian, Jewish, atheist, or Muslim, because many other religions and many other, even atheists believe in the power of tithing. They know that it's a law as, as, as much as gravity is, if I drop something now, it'll drop to the ground. The, the law of tithing is a, is a law that the one who honors with the first 10%, that their finances are blessed. God promises it. So in all the years, I've never met somebody who's tithed who has not been blessed financially. The converse is true, is that I, I meet people all the time who don't tithe and they always have one line, I can't afford to. Isn't it remarkable? Those who follow this principle always have one testimony, God has been so good to us. Our, our income is multiplied. We don't know how it works. We can't explain it. It doesn't make sense that we would be able to live on, on the 90%. And the ones who, who don't all say the same thing to me, but I can't afford to. We wouldn't get past the month. It's remarkable. It's, we can't explain it, but God is faithful and good. Proverbs, for, some, for the skeptics, maybe all the cynics out there, Proverbs 21 verse 26 gives a promise which actually explains the issue. Extravagant giving never leads to poverty. Some of us think that if we give, we'll become poor. But extravagant never, giving never, never leads to poverty. Now, um, let me give you the rest of the model. So tithe some first, 10%. The next section on the pie chart, will you guys go to the pie chart please, uh, is to invest then to save, and then to spend. So it goes tithe, 10%, invest, save, spend. Tithe is to return the first 10%. Now, why would God ask us to do that? Do you think God needs our money? Definitely not. Uh, God does it so that we would be, uh, in a very practical way, able to show him that we trust him with our money. He's given it all to us anyway. We return a tithe. We bring a tithe back, right? So tithing is not, a, it's not about God wanting our money. It's about God wanting to know, do we trust him with our money? It's a sign of devotion. It's a sign of honor. It's a sign of trust. It's a sign of, I put you symbolically, I put you first. I honor you first. If you've given me 10 rand, I'm going to honor you. Before I do anything else, before I pay the bank or anybody else, I'm going to give that to you. So tithing 10%. I, I wonder sometimes uh, if God doesn't feel like a parent of a child in a burning house. 
Picture this for yourself if you've got kids this morning. Picture your house burning and your kids standing on the balcony of the second floor. And you know that behind your child, the house is burning. But you also know that you're standing waiting and you're calling to your child, would you just jump? And you ask your child to jump because you know there's one safe way to leave that house and that safe way is to jump into your arms. The child, on the other hand, needs some convincing, don't they? Because they're thinking, well, the house is burning behind me, not a great prospect. But maybe there's another way. If I went sort of around or if I tried to jump onto the roof and then went down and, and we, the child would be looking. But the parent's job is to say, hey, just trust me. Jump. And the child's got to leave the comfort of the, of the balcony and land and head into midair. But as the parent, here's the thing, you know you're not going to drop that child. You know you're going to catch them. Why would you drop your own child? I think God knows the burning house that is our society of materialism and greed. He knows there's one way out of it. And that's to jump, to take a, to test him, to honor him with the first fruits. He knows he won't drop you. What sort of father drops their kid when they jump for safety into his arms? Do you not think God is big enough to take care of your finances if you were to honor him with them? Make sense? So tithe, 10%. Then invest and save is the next two segments. Investing and saving, same thing, same principle. What you're doing is you're paying yourself. So tithing is about honoring God. You're not paying God. Nobody pays God because nobody can honor, uh, owe God anything, right? You're, we honor God with our tithe, but then we pay ourselves. You're paying your future self. Have you guys seen these apps on phones now where you can take a picture of your face and then it fast forwards you and it ages you like 20 or 30 years? It's a very scary thing. Don't do it unless you're having a good hair day, right? It doesn't feel fun. But what you get to see is your future self. When, you, when we save and when we invest, we are paying our future selves. Are you with me? Saving and investing, what then is the difference if that's the, the common principle? The, the difference largely lies in the time horizon attached. When we save, we are saving for generally a period of five years and, and shorter. Uh, we're saving for things like when the fridge packs up or the car service or we, uh, the car needs new tires, or maybe you're saving for a holiday next year, or an end of year holiday, or you're saving for a rainy day. That's the saving, that's saving. Investing is generally for longer than five years. Investing is for things like investing for your retirement, longer than five years. Investing for your child's education. Investing for your daughter's wedding. That's an investment, right? Once of lump sum investment, your daughter leaves your books forever thereafter. Makes sense, eh? Yeah, that's the price of that's the price of the husband taking the, the daughter of you. There's a lump sum investment. It's called pay for the wedding. And then from there on, she's not your problem anymore. That's how it works. <laughs> Financially, that's kind of the deal that gets made. Or you're saving for an overseas holiday in a few years at time or whatever the case is. So investing, saving, principle, paying yourself, difference, time horizon. Saving, five years and shorter. Investing, five years and longer. Which means that where you put your money to earn a return differs because if you've got a five-year and shorter time horizon, 
you've got a much more conservative profile, you're not going to be looking to take too much risk with that money. If you're investing and you want to beat inflation over the long term, you have to invest your money in something that will beat inflation. That by nature is going to be more risky, it's going to be more up and down, it's going to be a bumpier ride. Are you all still with me? Proverbs 21 verse 20 tells us that the wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. In other words, there's no saving with a fool. You see that? They spend whatever they get. There's no saving. Proverbs 13, 11. Dishonest money dwindles away, but whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. Gathers money little by little, who makes it grow? What's that? Investing. Are you with me? God is a, a reason for the principle of saving and investing. It's because you benefit from something called the eighth wonder of the world. You benefit from something which Albert Einstein called the most powerful force in the universe. He was talking aside from God, right? Albert Einstein said this. He said that compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. He who understands it earns it. He who doesn't pays it. Compound interest is the most powerful force in the universe. Compound interest is simply allowing your money to remain invested long enough so that it earns interest, but the interest that it earns also earns interest. Are you with me? Let me give it to you as an example this way. If you invest 10 rand in year one and you earn 10% interest on it, how much interest have you earned? One rand. The next year, guess what would be invested? Not your 10 rand, but your 10 rand plus the one rand that you earned on, on it already. So you've now got 11 rand invested. Are you with me? If you earn another 10% on 11 rand, you earn another one rand 10. Guess what gets invested in the next year? Your 10 rand plus your one rand interest plus your one rand 10 interest. You now have 12 rand 10 earning interest the next year. If you earn 10% on that, what do you earn? You earn 1 rand 21 interest on that. Guess what you've got for year three? You've got your 10 rand plus your 1 rand plus your 1 rand 10 plus your 1 rand 21. All added together, which is 13 rand 21 invested. And so on and so on and so on. Are you all still with me or do you feel like you're in maths class in grade 10 right now? Let me, let me sketch for you the power of compound interest over a longer term period. Scenario A, Tyrell over here hits the age of 20. Tyrell's a smart man. Tyrell decides at age 20, he's gonna start saving and investing from age 20 and he does that faithfully and disciplined all the way through to age 30. At age 30, he decides, listen, I've been a good guy and he starts to buy himself GTIs. His saving dries up. He doesn't save anymore, but what he does do is the money that he has saved, he leaves it where it's at. And he, he doesn't add any more to it, but he leaves it where it's at, and he leaves it until age 60. So Tyrell started saving at age 20 until age 30. After age 30, he became a muhu, didn't save anymore, but he just left his money invested. Are you with me? Clear as, clear as anything. Person B, Matthew. Matthew decides from age 20 to 30, I want to drive GTRs. I'm in the prime of my life. I want to drive a GTR while I'm at age 20 to 30. Matthew doesn't save anything from 20 to 30. 
At 30, he catches a wake-up, and he decides, I better start investing for my future. So Matthew starts to put away the same percentage of his salary. They earn the same salary, puts away the same percentage of his salary as what Tyrell does now. But Matthew starts from age 30, and he continues saving, putting money aside every single month for 30 years till age 60. Question, who ends up with more money? Tyrell. Tyrell only did the hard work of saving for 10 years from 20 to 30. Thereafter, he, he took his hands off, but he let his money remain invested and he, and he sought through to age 60. Matthew started at 30, lost the benefit of those first 10 years, and then had to play catch up for the next 30 years. Tyrell ends up with more money. Why? Because the effect of compound interest comes into play. Because Tyrell's savings in those first 10 years have the benefit of compound interest over the next 40. Matthew's only 30. Such is the effect of compound interest. Interest upon interest upon interest upon interest upon interest. Oh, is everybody with me this morning? So we go tithe, then we go invest, pay myself, long-term, save, pay myself, short-term, then our favorite part, spend. Right. Now, I've been doing a bit of research on ostriches. The chicken researched the ostrich, right. <laughs> I always thought ostriches put their heads in the sand just to sort of let the world go by. I thought it was a strategy just to like say I've had enough. You know like when you've had a really bad day and you just want to be an ostrich, put your head in the sand and just let life pass you by. I thought that's why ostriches, I thought, put their heads in the sand to ignore the world. In fact, ostriches put their heads in the sand to inspect the state of their eggs, to see how their babies are doing. Did you know that? And so ostriches will actually put their heads in the sand a few times a day. They put their heads into the sands of their nests or under the ground, under the soil. And they put their heads into the sand to check out the, the eggs, to check how their babies are doing. Far from ignoring life, ostriches actually put their heads in the sand in order to assess the state of their resources. This morning, I'm going to ask you to be an ostrich in the best sense of the word. I'm going to ask you to put your head in the sand so that you can inspect the state of your resources. Here's the thing. Spending has a Siamese twin. It's called budget. Spending and budgeting cannot be divorced from each other. Right? They just, they can't be separated. They, they, are, they are not mutually exclusive concepts. What do I mean by that? I mean you can only budget if you can get a handle on your spending. You can't budget unless you know what you're spending. Are you with me this morning? We can't control what we don't know. We, can't, we can only manage what we can make out. A budget is a simple list of income and expenses. It's so simple to do but not easy. Do you understand what, the difference? It's simple in that it's 
simple to go and get your bank statement for the last 30 days and look and add up what you've spent. But it's not easy to face what we've spent. Are you with me? It's very easy to get the information. It's a lot harder to look at the information and digest what's going on. What I want to say this to us is our spending will never behave itself unless we first get a handle on it. I worked in financial services area for over 14 years. The stats are reliable. Over 90% of South Africans, that means 90% of us in this congregation right now, have no idea what our expense base is. If I had to say to you, what are your total monthly expenses now? Just starting this way, go all the way around. Total monthly expenses, over 90% of you wouldn't be able to put a bottom line number to it. That's the power of budgeting. So budgets are so simple to do, but so not easy, hey? Watch what Proverbs 24 tells us. A house is built by wisdom, and it becomes strong through good sense. Through knowledge, its rooms are filled with all sorts of precious riches and valuables. Here, here's the thing, guys. Everything Everything depends upon knowledge. You can't budget unless you've got the knowledge. You can't get a handle on your spending unless you get a handle on, your, on the knowledge. Are you with me this morning? It's gone so quiet in this Presbyterian mixed with Anglican and Catholic church. Where to start? You might not be able to reconfigure your entire financial world to go in line with the pie chart that I've given us. I'm saying to us, tithe 10, save five, invest for your retirement 15. That immediately takes you up to 30%, which means that spending then can only be 70% of our salary. You might not be there yet. I don't want you to feel stressed. I don't want your anxiety to lift. I don't want you to have come to church only to get more stressed. What I want you to do is hear the wisdom of the model and decide to make some incremental changes. You might not be able to say, well, I can tithe 10% next month. Well, why don't you start with 2 or 3%? You might not be able to save a full 20% of your salary for long and short term. But why not start with a couple of hundred rand if you can? Why not start to put the, the, the principle of honoring God first? Why not put the principle of saving and paying yourself second? Why not decide to implement the principle of compound interest? Allow it to start working for you. And see what God will do with your money. Here's the thing. God will get finance to you if he knows he can get it through you. God will get finance to you if he knows he'll get it through you as well. God pours fresh water into conduits, not into dead seas. Are you with me? I think the power of Jesus in our lives is that we're able to, as we grow in our faith and in our maturity of him, we're able to echo the words of Paul the Apostle. He wrote in Philippians 4, 11 to 12. Listen to these beautiful words. He goes, not that I was ever in need, for I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. I think that's the power of Jesus, that he helps us to be content with whatever we have. 
He goes, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. People say, what difference does Jesus make in our lives? I tell you, when it comes to our money, he starts, he starts to make all the difference. He starts to allow us to become content with what we've got. Our contentment levels rise as our materialism levels drop. Are you with me? Now, our purpose levels rise, our ambition levels drop. We start to want more of Him and less of stuff. We start to give towards His causes more than we start to give towards our pleasures. Our budget starts to ask the question, how much can we give as opposed to how much can we keep? That, my friends, is the power of Christ when He gets a hold of your life, including your finances. You can't follow Jesus unless you follow Him in the area of your finance. It just is what it is, hey? If you're a business owner, make all the money you can. If you're in charge of a business unit, if you're a manager, you lead people, Take all the promotions you can, as long as they don't lead you away from Him. As, as long as they don't capture you. Can I use the word capture? I know it's a little bit of a swear word in our country at the moment. Because it's not only the state that can get captured, our souls can get captured. I think Christians should talk less about state capture and more about soul capture. Hey? Make all the money you can. Get all the promotions you can. Be as blessed as you can. But use it wisely. Use it generously. Make sure your soul hasn't been captured. Make sure your heart hasn't got a hold of something and it starts to pursue it. Stay open to the Holy Spirit whispering to you how you can be generous, how you can deploy your resources for great things. Look for ways to bless other people. Look for ways to make a difference with your finance. Uh, our prayer is that nobody would be struggling in our congregation. Our prayer is that everybody would be blessed financially. But when you're blessed, when you are blessed, and when He starts getting resources to you, make sure that the resources go through you. Are you with me? Come, let's pray together. Hey. God, give us faith. Give us faith, Father, so that we can put into practice what it is that you've asked us to do. As we head into this next week, as a payday looms up in a couple of weeks' time, help us to have the faith to listen to your word, to heed the wisdom of your word, uh, to put into practice the principles of your word. Though it might not be full, may, uh, may you give us the faith to start somewhere. This morning, as uh, we're in a moment of prayer, I'd love the great privilege of praying for you because Jesus Christ is the one who changes us from the inside out. And you know, He changes our thought life. He changes our, 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 our verbal life, the way we speak. He changes our emotional life and He changes our financial life. He makes us more content with what we have. And this morning, if you don't know Jesus, I, I wanna 
issue an invitation to you. It would be the best invitation you could ever accept to say yes to Him because He will change your life. Not only will He raise your contentment levels, He will fill your life with purpose. He'll make you less beholden to money. He'll make you less greedy. He'll make you less ambitious. He'll make you more filled of peace. There'll be more levels of, uh, less levels of anxiety, greater levels of purpose, greater levels of excitement of life. Life will start to look like it's in color, not black and white. Following Jesus changes every part of our lives, not only our financial life, changes our entire lives. I'd love the great privilege of praying for you this morning if you wanna say yes to Him. Be the start of an, an adventure that Sebi referred to earlier. You'll start to live an adventurous life. So if that's you this morning, I'd love to pray for you. And I'm gonna ask you to respond just on the count of three. The reason we do that is so everybody knows, hey, this is the moment to respond now. And the rest of our church prays. And those of you who need to respond, this is your moment to raise your hand. I'm gonna see it, say thank you, God bless you, and include you in a prayer at the end. All right, you ready to respond this morning? Those of you who wanna say yes to Jesus. Maybe money is just the thing that sparked you and thought, man, I actually need him to change every area of my life. Man, what an invitation, what a chance to respond this morning. What a joy, what a privilege it would be to pray for you. Ready on the count of three, here we go, ready? This is your moment, one, two, three. Hands up all across this place if that's you this morning. Yes, yes, God bless you, God bless you, God bless you, God bless you. Yeah. Come, keep your hands up nice and high so I can just see you. I want to, yes, thank you at the back, thank you. Thank you, young lady over there, that's awesome. Yes, thank you, ma'am, over there at the back, I can see you. Yes, thank you, sir, ma'am, over here. Thank you, ma'am, over here. Yeah. God bless you guys. This, there's so many people responding. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's awesome. Pastor Ken's going to lead us in a moment of prayer. This message was recorded live at Thrive Church. We hope that it inspired you to move towards Jesus.